Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. All right, I hope you had a great Christmas. Good time to catch up with family. Good time to catch up with friends. Okay, now put that behind you. (laughs) Because we're moving forward into a time, we've already seen some of that. We're going to be praying, we're going to be fasting, we are waiting and expecting God to break through. So, you might be hoping, because we've all all need a bit of catching up on our sleep, just to have a nice chilled morning and a nice simple relaxing look back on the end of year message, you're not going to get that at all. This is a looking forward message. This is looking forward to what God is going to do and it is preparing us for it. So I hope you're up for it this morning. My aim today, what I feel the Lord's put on me, is to help us to stand in faith by recognizing that our battle is against sin. We are not waging war with ourselves. That is the good news. We are not at war with ourselves. And if that all seems a bit irrelevant, it will become relevant. So we are going to uh, look at some things which I've found have really helped me in my walk with the Lord, to stand in faith. It's practical. It's based on scripture. I hope it's really useful to you. This is stuff I have not often heard preached, but it's biblical. And the Lord's helped me to take my stand against the devil's scheme. So this is effectively a bit of spiritual warfare this morning. So the theme is living a next step life, how to stand in faith and in freedom. Let's have a picture up on the screen. Anybody recognize this gentleman? Come on, I'm sure somebody does. General Montgomery from World War II sat in his caravan, and what might be confusing you a little bit, because he's a very British general, are pictures of three very German generals behind him. Because Montgomery had these pictures up in his caravan for a very simple reason. He needed to know his enemy. If he knew his enemy, if he understood them, if he could get into the mind of them and the way they thought and the way they acted, then he could defeat them. And defeat them, he did. So the picture in the middle is of the German general they called the Desert Fox, Rommel. And what Montgomery was doing is knowing his enemy. But sometimes we act as Christians as though our enemy is ourselves. Well, the good news for us today is that we are not at war with ourselves. We're going to spend a bit of time in the book of Romans, but first of all, because it just seems to be a bit of a habit with me, I want to go back to Genesis. And I want to give you an example from Genesis of the very basics of the kind of spiritual warfare that we all face. By the end of this morning... You are, I hope you're going to feel relieved because we are not struggling with ourselves. There are very simple things that we can do to make life very much easier for us. I want to look at the story of Cain and Abel. We could go back to the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to do that. We're going to look at the story of Cain. Cain and his brother Abel make offerings to God. Do you remember the story? Cain's offering is mean And Abel's offering is generous. Cain's gift is resentful and half-hearted. 
and God is not pleased with Cain. And Cain, rather than learning his lesson, decides that he's not pleased with God either. So the story goes like this, Genesis 4, 6 to 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The language here is very, very particular. (coughs) And one of the first things to point out here is that God never rejected Cain. Cain acted like a person who'd been rejected. But God said, all you have to do is put it right, Cain. But Cain did not put it right. Instead, he went from bad to worse. And what this verse does, I'm just going to read this again because it's so extraordinary. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And this morning, we're going to learn how to do that and how to do it simply and effectively. Sin is presented here as a personal power or a force which is coming against Cain. But where is that source of temptation? This is really important. It is outside of Cain. It is at his door. It is not in his heart. It is not in his nature. It is not in his character. It is outside of him. And he does not have to let it in. Really important. He doesn't have to let it in. We are not at war with ourselves. Sin can only come into our lives if we open the door to it. Otherwise, it can't get in because God has given you a sovereign will. He's given you the power to make right choices. God's called you to rule and reign in life and to rule and reign over sin. It has no authority over you and you have all authority over it and you do not have to let it in. But sin, in this passage, sin has a will too. It's not just an impersonal force. It's described in this passage of scripture as crouching at your door and its desire is to have you and devour you. So it's painted in a personal way. It wants to control us and it wants to master us and it acts like a magnet on our own desires. You picture magnets, we'll have a look at magnets in a minute or two. But in the case of Cain, sin worked like this. You can just imagine the voices going round in his head saying, well, that's absolute rubbish, isn't it? Honestly, you worked hard to grow those vegetables. What does God want? Next thing he's going to be asking for all of them. Typical God. He doesn't appreciate you. And what about that Abel? That golden boy gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. Cain, you've got a right to be mad. And I tell you this, if you don't sort out that brother now, it's going to haunt you all of your life. Something has got to be done. So what's happening 
is that this power of temptation, this sin that is outside of him, is acting like a magnet on him to draw out an anger in him and a jealousy within him, which actually leads to the murder of his own brother. And then sin tempts him to refuse to take responsibility and to lie to God and to challenge God directly. Instead of the opportunity to repent and turn and seek forgiveness, Cain digs an even bigger, deeper hole for himself. He says, well, I don't know what happened to Abel. That's a lie. And then he challenges God directly. Am I my brother's keeper? For which the answer is yes, not no. It's yes, you are your brother's keeper. Murder, rebellion, and finally the refusal to turn and put things right, the refusal to repent. Let's go back to that verse in Genesis because it's really important. Genesis 4, 6 to 7, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must and you can rule over it. It has no power and no authority over you unless you let it. Now you may say, okay, well that's just Genesis. But actually the language Paul uses in the book of Romans is exactly the same when he's talking about sin. Romans 6.12, he says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So Paul is talking about sin as a force that has a desire and it desires to reign and rule over you. But you don't have to let it. This is a good news. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death into life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. But the language from Genesis and Romans is the same language. It's the same picture. And the good news is we have the mastery of it. It does not need to have mastery over us. Why is sin no longer your master? Because if you've given your life to Jesus, you've given your life to the Lord and Lord means master. You can only have one master. And if he's your Lord, then he's your master, providing you keep walking in faith and obedience. This is about a walk. This is about the moment. This is about the minute. This is about now, not then, not at some point in time, but about now. If we keep walking in faith and obedience and in relationship with our Lord, he is our master and we can only have one master. It's when we stop doing that, when we let our walk with the Lord slip, that we find ourselves feeling as though we're stuck in Romans 7. Paul describes in Romans 7, he says, look, I want to do what's right, but I don't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Paul 
is describing a Christian who's lost sight of his real enemy and he thinks he's at war with himself. But we are not at war with ourselves. Can you ju- I'm not sure you believe in me. Just turn to your neighbour and say, you are not at war with yourself. If you remember nothing else, thank you, Tom. If you remember nothing else today, please remember, you are not at war with yourself. If you feel like that, it's because the enemy is a liar and you've fallen for his lies. Sin is a power of evil that is separate from me unless I choose to collaborate with it. What it wants to do is separate me from God, but it cannot override my will. Sin is like a magnet. Let's have a look at how magnets work. They also work the other way round. And what the Lord wants to do this morning for you is to show you that you can be and accord to be that force that pushes away the enemy, not the one that is trapped by him and lifted out by him, taken out. Because the enemy wants to take you out. But if you just turn around, face the right direction, then God has given you a power that the enemy cannot conquer and control. It's so simple. It's so simple. If I choose to keep my distance then the magnetic pull of sin is never going to overpower me. If you can just imagine, there's a magnet out there, that's the enemy. There's there's my own desire, my own will inside of me, and the Lord has put a limit on what the enemy can do. The enemy cannot come in and take my will. He can't do it. He's not allowed to do it. But what can happen is that if my desires start to focus on the, on the desire of sin, remember that's the language of Genesis and Romans, if I start to look at that and start to rise up to that, then the pull of that becomes stronger on me. And if I am not careful and don't sort my focus out, then I'm got. And that's what can happen. But it doesn't have to happen. Sin crouches at your door, its desire is for you, but you must and you can master it. Romans 7 describes this. I'm going to read from the Truth Translation. There are lots of different approaches uh, to, to the way these scriptures are translated. This is Colin Urquhart's translation. And it's particularly good on this. Romans 7. He says, I felt there was a kind of war going on within me, this battle that I was constantly losing because I was a prisoner of the law of sin that urged me to use my body in sinful ways. What a dilemma. What a mess. 
Can you see how wretched I felt about myself? Was there anyone who could save me from this terrible predicament? Yes, thank God. And his name is Jesus Christ. The enemy, the power of sin, appeals to my basic instincts. But listen, this is important. Temptation is not sin. It is not sin. Even Jesus was tempted in every way like you, but he was sinless. So when you feel tempted to sin, don't then listen to the lies of the enemy which come in and accuse you and say, look at you now. Look at the way you're feeling. Look at what you want to do. You're a failure. You're a loser. He points at your track record and he does it because there is a failure a failure, someone who's failed and there is someone who's lost and it's him. He's the failure. He's the loser. Temptation to sin is not sin. You are not at war with yourselves. So when you are tempted to do what is wrong, rise up. Stand up against it Look the enemy in the eye and take authority over him. Stop whining about it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself about it. Stop listening to the lies which go, there you go again. Stop listening to the lies which say your track record, you've done that. Then, 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 because I've been ticking them off. That's what the enemy does. It's not what the Lord does. He forgets. You are free to be a child of God. You are not at war with yourself. Sin wants to control me, but I'm called to walk in obedience to God, stick close to him and stay in his victory. And God gives me the power to do that. If I've given my life to Jesus, then the selfish core of me, the place of fear and greed, the place of basic instinct has been nailed to the cross with Christ. It has died. Galatians 2.20 says this. I, all that I am, have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You've moved from death to life. And where the enemy tries to attack us is in the place of our basic instincts. But I don't live to serve those basic instincts. I live to serve the King of Kings. And if I walk with my heart and my focus on him, I can resist the enemy. You see, I'm not at war with myself. God has made me mortal. He's given me flesh. My flesh is not sinful. My flesh is flesh and blood. It's a body God has given me. And when God finished making all that he'd made, he looked at it and he saw it and he said, that's good. A lot of this is down to the way bits of scripture are translated in different versions. The enemy, sin above us, is like that magnet towards our basic desires. But God has given us a will. He has given you a will and you can Resist him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 6, 11. So count yourselves dead to sin. If you're dead to sin, it can't bother you. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, this is why Jesus says you have to be born again. Colin Urquhart's fond of saying God wants you dead. Well, he does. Because he wants to give you new life. He wants to give you his life. And he wants you to walk in that new life, day by day in freedom and obedience, filled with the presence of God, filled with the spirit of God, filled with the hope of God, filled with the life of God. And it's just all irrelevant then. Sin can do what it likes at your door because you're not going to let it in. What we do is we give him our old life. We give him the good, the bad and the ugly if we think there's anything good there. And he gives us his new life. In fact, he gives us himself. But even though you've been born again, if you've given your life to Jesus, he still gives you a choice. And that choice is yours today, tomorrow, the next day. That choice is yours this minute, this second. Where are we going to focus? Are we going to live for ourselves and satisfy basic instincts and desires, because you are mortal, you're flesh and blood, they're still there. (coughs) Or are we going to live to please him? The choice is ours daily. How will I live this minute right now? Am I going to live in independence from God and just do my own thing? Or am I going to live to please God in faith and obedience and close relationship to him. We will always have a choice, which is why Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he shows us how to live out in the good of that choice. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's our choice, and that's our daily choice, to walk in that. It's a process. It's a process of shrugging off the old habits that no longer belong to you. They don't belong to you anymore. And learning new ones. There's a training and a discipline, and Romans goes on to talk about that, and so does the book of Hebrews. And all of that requires our cooperation. And it also requires a little help from our friends because we were never intended to cope with all of this on our own. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what was the next thing that he said to him? What did he say to those around? Just raise Lazarus from the dead, what did he say? Do you remember? Well done, excellent. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. He didn't say, Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. He said to his friends, look at him. He's looking like something out of a horror movie, staggering around with sheets and blankets over him. Take him off. They smell of death and the smell of death does not belong to him. The will of God is for us to walk in freedom. He raises us into new life, but we still need one another's help to take off the grave clothes and get rid of the smell of death. The stuff of death hangs around. Sometimes it's wrapped around our eyes and we can't see what's going on. 
in ourselves. And that's why God puts us together in church. And that's why we have small groups. Because it's the place where you, you get together with a small group of people that you learn to trust them. We learn to trust one another well enough to say, there's still a bit of a smell of death about me here in this area. I need your help. Can you help me here? Take this stuff off me. Help me. That's the purpose of the intimacy that God calls us to within the body of Christ. That's where we're headed to. Jesus showed the way when he washed his disciples' feet and got close enough to them to smell them. We need to come to that place of intimacy with a few trusted friends that we can say, please help me get this thing off. We were never intended to go through this all on our own. So our next sign-up Sunday, you thought I was going to come to this, and I have, thank you, is February the 9th. If anybody here has an idea for a small group that you're interested in, please come and see me about it. Those of you that are leading small groups, if you want to continue with them, or if you don't, either way, check in with me, please, and let's see where we go with it. But our small groups are the place where we get together. We are not on our own, nor are we at war with ourselves. Please don't buy into this notion that Christians are miserable sinners. We're not. We are new creations, made over in his image, born again in his image. There is no reason and no right for sin to be at work in your life. You have authority over it. It will stay there. It will continue to crouch. And the picture that's given there is of a lion waiting to crouch on its prey. It's waiting for its prey. That's what the enemy will do. But we have the authority over that. So, you, so if you feel tempted, you are not at war with yourself. We all feel tempted. Just take authority over the tempter and tell him where to go. Let's get feisty about this stuff. Let's start dealing with it. Let's stop being oppressed by it. Let's get these old habits gone and out of the way. We can do this because God's given us the authority to do it. But the enemy always messes with our identity in order to separate us from God. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You can do this. You know how lions work. They're lazy creatures. In fact, the male lions just leave the female lions to get on with it. Yeah, some things don't change, but... They're lazy. So what they do is they, they go for a herd of antelope or whatever it happens to be. They look for the small one. They look for the weak one. They look for the lame one. They look for the one that's on the edge of the herd. And then they work to isolate it from the herd. And they stalk it and they leap on it and they tear it down. It's an amazing picture of the way the enemy works. He works exactly like that. And we all know, if we just pause and think for a second, that there are some folks in our church who've become isolated as a result of trouble, 
illness or disability. They find it hard to reach out to others, so it falls to us to reach out to them, to love them and protect them. There are some folks who need visiting. There are some folks who need help in bringing them to church. And if that's something you'd like to be a part of, then please catch me and tell me, because it's a wonderful ministry that we can do. Or catch Jonathan and tell him about that. So, if we get to the point where we have made the stupid mistake and we've opened the door to sin and we've allowed sin to come in, how then do we get rid of it? Because along with the sin comes the accusation. Look at you, you've failed again. We get rid of it the same way it came in. We show it the door. It's so simple. It is really simple. We're called to rule over it and not to let it rule over us. But we can only rule and reign in life and take authority over sin as we ourselves are under a higher authority. If Jesus is your Lord and your Master, he gives all authority in heaven and earth to you. Astonishing. There's nothing lacking for you. If he's your Lord and your Master, it's where that's contested that it can get a little difficult. So James tells us the way, James 4, says, Submit yourselves then to God. So if you get into trouble, don't do what Cain did and just keep digging. Rather, turn and face God. Don't run away from God like Adam and Eve did. Turn and face God. And say, I'm really, really sorry. I've gotten a mess. Help me out. And he will. Resist the devil, it says, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and God will come near to you. He will always come near to you. God will never be disappointed in you. The enemy will tell you he is, but he's a liar. Be sorry, turn around, go the other way, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Always he will lift you up. So even if we've given the devil a foothold, we still belong to Christ. All we have to do is renounce our sin. All we have to do is resist the enemy. We come to God our Father and we say, I'm sorry. We turn around, we put it behind us and we use the authority we have in Christ to resist the enemy. Renounce, repent, resist, and I would say go one step further and repel. Turn from the negative to the positive and you will repel the enemy just like a magnet. Let's have a look at that magnet's video again because we remember what we see. Don't do this. because he's got you if you do. Rather, we're called to do this. Get on the front foot with the enemy. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. You are called to not just draw a line in the sand and say no further, you can't come any further. We're called to be on the offensive. The word says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's, it's not that we're locked in some kind of citadel under attack. It's quite the opposite. The enemy's terrified of you. 
and the captives that he's held, he will not be able to keep them because you are called to be on the offensive with the enemy and to take ground from him. Every attack of the enemy that we overcome weakens the enemy's stronghold on us and it strengthens us. The Lord allows the enemy to probe our defenses so that we can engage with the Lord in becoming stronger and put our defenses in order. So remember, you're not at war with yourself. And I would say looking around us today, I think that there are very few of us that are ever going to be tempted to rob a bank or commit a murder or commit adultery, at least, you know, no more than twice a week anyway. But most of us are going to be tempted to be negative about ourselves. We're going to be tempted to resentment, self-pity, stuff like that. This is very small beer. It feels big, but it isn't. So Jesus in Mark's gospel, he says, I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions. You might think, what's the point of that? There aren't any snakes and scorpions here. Well, what does that mean? What it meant to the people in the, in the region at the time was that there are small dangerous things that you need to treat with a degree of respect, but you have total authority over them. You see a scorpion, stamp on it. Don't talk to it. Don't engage with it. Stamp on it. You see a poisonous snake, show it your foot. And you can do that. So these things that trouble us, these, these feelings that the enemy just exercises this magnetic pullover that feels so strong to us, that feels so powerful to us. Lord says they're not. They're little tiny things that you need to take authority of. You need to be wise in the way you do it. But you can do that. Deal with them. And then don't be intimidated. If the enemy comes against you, just say, get out of my way. I'm coming through. Because he is much, much smaller than he appears to be. So, stand against fear. Stand against all kinds of negativity. Refuse it. Renounce it. Don't engage with it. Don't shake hands with it. Don't invite it in. Don't entertain it. Don't indulge it. Don't walk with it. Don't partner with it. Don't celebrate it by making it the thing you fill your mind with all the time. Shift your focus from fear to faith, from negative to positive, from the works of the enemy to the Lord. Step over the line from fear into faith. Choose to stand in that place of faith. Give thanks to God for the good things he's done. Philippians 4 tells us how to deal with the enemy. Rejoice in the Lord always. You can look it up yourself. Declare and proclaim his victory. Then take a deeper step into faith and give thanks to God for the good things he will do. The things you don't yet hold in your hand, but you're in faith for. 
Give God thanks for those things. Praise God for himself. And now we're turning completely. Let's engage with him. Shake hands with him. Invite him in. Entertain him. Indulge him. Walk with him. Partner with him. Celebrate with him. Welcome and proclaim him. And shift your focus from fear to faith. And remember... You are not at war with yourselves. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.